2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. Second Timothy 4, 6 through 8. For, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Let's pray. Lord, uh, I pray for you to fill me afresh with your spirit, God. It's uh, so easy to depend on my own strength or my own thoughts, but I pray now that I would be like that sail in the wind, that your spirit would move me and I would respond. I pray, God, for your people, that you would prepare their hearts to receive this word from your word, and God, that it would bear fruit for your glory. God, use this time to exalt your name. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, some of you are in the same place in life that I'm at. You're getting to the back half of the game, right? You're in the fourth quarter. See what happens. and You know, you start thinking about things, don't you? I think everybody does, but especially when you get older. You start thinking about, was my life a success? You know, you, you start asking yourself those questions. And then you try to determine, how do you, how do you know? You know, is, is, is it about family? You know, my family is, is strong or whatever. Or is, is it about uh, finances? You know, I've got this much put away and I can give this to my family. You know, is it about all the things you've done? What, what is it? What, what is that criterion for getting to the end of life and trying to decide, was my life a success? Well, Paul is at that place in his life. He's at the end. And uh, he, by God's grace, has, in Second Timothy, shared what he feels the criterion as you look back on your life and say, was it a success? <clears throat> and Paul's criterion was this. He had kept the faith. He had fought the good fight. That's it. That's what he looked at his life and said, yes. Yes, my life was a success, was what honored God. But that was his criterion. And, you know, the good news is, is that throughout this Second Timothy book, he keeps coming back to the, a familiar theme over and over again. And it is the main point of this message in that the Bible, the Word of God, was Paul's and our anchor for keeping the faith and the weapon for fighting the good fight. God's Word. Now, it's important that we understand context of a book in order to get everything out of it. And so we need to lay a little history, Second Timothy. What had happened was this. Uh, 
there was a Roman emperor named Nero who, if you heard this, started a fire to burn down Rome. Burned half of Rome. This was somewhere around 64 A.D. The rumor was that he fiddled while Rome burned. Ever hear of that? Well, he started the fire. And then what he did was this. He blamed it on the Christians. What was happening was the Christians in that area, well, around the empire, were not acknowledging him as a god. And so he was upset and mad. And so what occurred was that by blaming the Christians for the fire, the Christians were now official enemies of the state. And they were subject to public torture and execution. And Paul was probably charged with propagating a forbidden cult. And he was imprisoned for the second time after being free for several years after his first imprisonment. There's the history of what was going on. It's so important to understand the history behind a book, what was happening, because now Paul is writing from being imprisoned the second time. And this was very different than the first time he was in prison. Very different. The first time he was in prison, he was able to stay in his own rented house, uh, guarded, but people could come and visit him, have lunch with him, etc. And he had hoped that he would be free. That was the first time. This is a few years later, three to four years later maybe. And um, now he is in what we would know as a prison cell type thing. It's cold, dark. And it's from there that he wrote Second Timothy. He was... Um, People could come and see him, but they didn't have access to him. He was lonely. You can sense throughout this letter just a loneliness in Paul, saying, hey, Tim, Timothy, come and see me, and tell so-and-so to come and see me. There's just a, a loneliness there in that sense. And he also didn't have much hope that he would be free. As a matter of fact, it was the exact opposite. He expected to die. Paul expected to die. As a matter of fact, he was executed soon after writing 2 Timothy, around 64 to 67 A.D. Nero was murdered in 68, so we know it was somewhere around there. And that's Paul. He's facing the end of his life, and he knew it. So we can look at 2 Timothy, and realistically, it is Paul's last will and testament. That's what it is. And he is... He is, is saying farewell and giving exhortation to a very close friend of his that was part of ministry for many, many years with Paul. And that's the background of the book of Second Timothy. Here's the outline of this particular book. Chapter 1, verses 1 through 5 is just a standard introduction. Chapter 1, verses 6 through 2. 13, exhortations to boldness and faithfulness, to calling Timothy to be courageous, to be steadfast and loyal, to endure hardship. Difficult things were coming. Chapter 2, verse 14 through 4, verse 5, exhortations to sound doctrine. A lot of false teachers, so be sound in your doctrine in the face of false teachers. In view of perilous times to come, stand strong on the word. Abide 
in the Scriptures and preach the Word. Stand on the Word of God. And then in chapter 4, verses 6 through 18, exhortations to come quickly. Paul's end is near, and Paul's circumstances and requests. And then finally in chapter 4, 19 through 22, the conclusion of the book. And what we see in Paul's life is that the church is constantly under hardship and attack, both from the outside and the world pressing in to try to get us to to embrace the world's values, the the world's uh, ideas, pressing in on the world, but also from within the church. It's being attacked. He's got false teachers that are saying, no, this is true, this is what it means, and other things. Uh, If you read 2 Timothy this week, you saw all the things that he stated. And so he's saying, you know what? The church is constantly going to be under attack from within and from without. It's just part of the way it is. The Christian is going to be attacked from within and without too. There's going to be, it's just going to happen. And so what Paul is saying is, is he's exhorting to him. He said, you know what? Stand firm. Stand strong. Endure. Endure. How do you do that? You know, I mean, the world's attacking and everything's crazy. How do you do that? Well, Paul tells us how he did it. And he says, you can endure. You can stand firm. You can be strong by being rooted in Scripture. Scripture helps us to endure, to stand strong in the midst of all the chaos in the world, all the things happening. That's why it's interesting that in the very end, Paul is writing and he's saying, hey, some of you friends of mine, come and visit. And I got two other requests. I want you to bring me my winter coat. It's cold in here. And I want you to bring me the scriptures. That's his request. It's the very end. He says, visit me and bring my coat so I can stay warm in the scriptures. A coat to warm the body and the scriptures to warm the heart and the soul. And I wonder if part of it was the, with the coat was just to stay warm so he wouldn't be distracted. You know how when you get cold you're freezing and you can't focus on anything? I wonder if he just wanted that coat to maybe stay warm so he could focus more on delighting in the word of God, delighting in Christ at the very end. To Paul, those parchments were the Old Testament. But that Old Testament points to Jesus. It's a unified story of the gospel from beginning to end. And so he knew Jesus. He saw him. He was called by him. And he delighted in the scriptures as they pointed to Jesus as he fulfilled all the Old Testament prophecies. I, I just wonder what he was doing as he was reading thinking back, reading a prophecy and remembering Jesus. That was what Paul was doing in this dark and difficult time. And we need to hear that, that testimony of this brother is that you know in dark, difficult times, the love of Jesus and his faithfulness is the most tangible, the most real. You're right at that edge and you know eternity is coming. And it's during those hard times that Jesus is sure and solid for you. 
you find out that it's not by your works that you're loved, but by Christ's sacrifice for you. That's about grace and mercy. You look back and you see, if you're, if you're a typical person, you look back and you usually find the failures easier to see than the victories. But God's grace is there. And Paul sees that. And he says, hey, this is what I want. This is what I need. Because for Paul, the Scriptures were his foundation. They were his anchor for keeping the faith. That's where he went. Take a look. God's Word. 2 Timothy 3, 13, 14-16a. through 16a. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings of Scripture, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God. And then 2 Timothy 4, 13. When you come... Bring the cloak that I left with Carpus in Troas, also the books, and above all, the most important, the parchments. Probably the scriptures is what scholars believe. Do you treasure the Word of God like that? The very end, the most important thing was the Word of God. He wanted that there because it pointed to Jesus. How do you do when it comes to treasuring God's precious Word? See, what we know for sure is that both the Old Testament and the New Testament are breathed out by God. They're breathed out by God. That means that the Word of God in its original writings is literally the words of God. Do you hear that? They're the words of the living God that you hold in your hand. I remember a couple of years ago, uh, there was this book that uh, I found, and it was called Ancient Wisdom. And so I opened it up. You know what it was? It was the Proverbs. And you look at God's precious word, and do we hold it uh, as precious as it truly is? The very words of God. Sometimes when, when Ryan or someone uh, preaches and they're ready to read the Scripture, we listen to the very words of God. And that's true. You see, God's Word is His inspired revelation of Himself, written by authors guided by His Spirit. God moved them to write what they wrote. It is His words that we have. And because they're His words, That Word of God, our Bible, is infallible. What does that mean? Infallible in its original writings. What what does that mean? It means this, that it is incapable of error. It's not, there is no error in it. It is never wrong. No matter what society says, no matter what people say, God's Word is never wrong. It is absolutely trustworthy. Absolutely trustworthy. Rock solid foundation for our faith and for keeping the faith. That's God's word. It is infallible. Take a look. Second Peter 1, 20 through 21. No prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. 
For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. What you hold is the hand, in your hands is the very word of the living God. Men were used as tools. They were like a pen to me. Did the pen write what was on the piece of paper? No. The writer wrote it. And that's what we see here in God's precious word. And it goes on in John 17, 17. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. God is truth. He cannot lie. If God could lie, he would not be God. We could not trust him. You would not know what would be a lie or what is true. God is fully trustworthy. And everything he says has to be true because he is truth. And so that means that whenever there's a conflict between what God's word says and what man's wisdom thinks should be the answer, man is always wrong. Always. And so when we look and we see the arguments that are brought forth before people, what we see is that God's word is true. God's word is solid. And there is no other authority needed because it is true. None. And guess what? No addendums either. No addendums to the Word of God. All right? There's some different people in different religions that say, oh, well, you know what? Uh, yes, we use the Bible, but we also use these other writings from God. I say this, I'll say it again. So the Creator of the universe, who did everything perfectly the first time, is going to get to a place where he's going to say, oh, I should have said this in the Bible. I've got to add something to it. No, he's God. He gets it right the first time, always. Why? Because he's God. And so we look at this and we see that God's word is true and there doesn't need to be any addition to it. Anybody ever try to sell you that, walk away because it's not true. God's word is pure, it's true. It is the foundation for our lives. And God's word reveals truth. It reveals the truth of the gospel, all of it. God's word reveals where it all started, how it all started. It gives us the origin of creation. It gives us the origin of marriage and of cities and jobs. It gives us the origin of sin goes all the way back. And the only one that was there was God. So if I'm going to put my hope in anything, it's going to be the Bible. This is how it all started. This is where it comes from. And it lays out throughout the whole Old Testament and New Testament the glory of the gospel, the desperation of people. That's why you want to understand yourself. Open up the Bible. Start reading it. You're going to find all kinds of stuff about yourself in there. And about human life. It explains how we're sinners separated from God. All have sinned and fall short. And we're just in this desperate place. Because nothing we can do can erase that debt. And God in His love and in His justice working together, Christ came and put on flesh. Fully God, fully man. And live that sinless life that you and I were required to live in order to spend eternity in heaven. Let's be honest. Just this morning, if 
our eternity was based on just this morning, we've already been disqualified for words or thoughts or actions. And so God sent His Son, Jesus, and lived the perfect sinless life and thought, word, and deed, met the requirements of the law for us. We could not do it. And then He went to the cross and was brutally punished for sin that was not His own. Why? Because God's just. He can't just say, oh, I kind of like this group of people better than the others, so I'll just bring them in. But Jesus went to the cross and died a vicious death. And three days later rose from the dead. The Father accepting the sacrifice that Jesus paid for all who would believe. That's the gospel. And if by God's grace alone, not your works, but just God's free gift to you, through faith alone, believing what you do not see, in Christ alone, then the great exchange occurred at that moment. And God would take Christ's righteousness and impute it to you. Consider it as if you lived it. And Jesus was punished for your sins. And there's the gospel. And it is from the very first word in Genesis 1-1 to the very end of Revelation. It's all pointing to the gospel, to the God of creation pointing to Jesus fulfilling all the Old Testament, God and His wisdom doing all these things, pointing the way. That's why I say Paul just probably must have rejoiced reading the Old Testament Scriptures and saying, wow, boy, God, how can I walk in fear? You're in charge. And this precious book that God has given us, His very words reveal the riches that are in Christ all that Jesus has done for us. It exalts Jesus from first to last in all the books. It shows us what happened in eternity past and it tells us what is going to happen in eternity future. Isn't that comforting? God doesn't leave it to question. He gave you a book. He said, here's my thoughts. Here's my very words. That's our God. And His precious Word will give us wisdom because it is God's wisdom. Not because it is worshiping a book, but we are worshiping the God of the book. And it describes all that He is in all His glory. It leads us to salvation and shows us ways that we can know and enjoy Jesus. See how precious this book is that is in your hand now? And it has a purpose, not just to give us God's word, not just to exalt his great name, but take a look. 2 Timothy three sixteen through 17. All scripture is breathed out by God. I stopped there last time. I'll continue on. And profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. You see, the purpose of God's Word is to teach us, show us who Christ is, to show us what honors God and what dishonors God. It's to challenge us, to correct us when we're wrong, to train us, to equip us in fighting the good fight. You see, when we talk and use these terms, keeping the faith Paul used at the end there, and he said, and I have fought the good fight, is saying the same thing. Saying the same thing. And that's why the Word of God, the Bible, 
is an anchor for us to keep the faith, but it is also a weapon for fighting the good fight. It's both. It's there as God's provision for us, just as His Spirit indwells us and enables us. Take a look, God's Word. Notice the shift here. I'm going to start with 1 Timothy. Look at what God is telling Timothy four years before 2 Timothy. 1 Timothy, But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. That's his challenge in 1 Timothy. Look at how the tense has changed in 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy 4.7 I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. The very thing he counseled Timothy to do, he gets to the end of his life and he's looking it over. And he's saying, so, was my life valuable on this planet? And he says, yeah, because of these things. By God's grace, I've been able to fight the good fight, finish the race, and kept the faith. You see, there's enough of this old nature in us that fighting the good fight and keeping the faith is a lifelong journey, isn't it? Like Paul says, you know, in 7, he goes, you know, the thing I want to do, I don't do, and the thing that I don't want to do, I keep doing. Who can help me? Praise God, there's no not, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He says, nope. He looks at it and there's this battle that we're in. And it's going to be there because the flesh is there. doesn't mean you're a failure as a Christian. It just means you're still on this side of heaven. And that battle is always there. And I want you to know something that we see in this book is that you cannot live a victorious Christian life if you don't know the Word of God. You cannot do it. You have to know the Word of God. You have to get in it. You have to treasure it. You have to dig deep. You have to study. And the reason I say that is because Jesus fought that good fight with the Word. And that's what we see in the desert. Don't we? Take a look. Matthew chapter 4, verse 1 through 11. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Isn't that the way it goes? The enemy just kind of sits in the weeds. He waits till you're tired. He waits till you're wore out. And then he causes these silly things to come your way. He just kind of waits in the weeds. That's what we see here. Verse 3, And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he, Jesus, answered, It is written. goes right to the Word of God. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Verse 5, Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written... I'm going to pull some scripture out of context. That's how he fights too. That's why you've got to know the Word of God. 
You've got to know the context it was written in. You've got to study. Because the devil will use God's very own word to try to trip you up. He says, it is written, Jesus. I'm sure you've heard that too, haven't you? I know I have in temptation time. Well, what about this? It is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. That's what it was all about. That was what it was all about in the beginning, wasn't it? Satan wanted to worship. He's still looking. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Wow. You see, what happens is as you get to know the Word of God, as it goes deep into your heart, as you understand what it says, what happens is that the Word starts changing you. It changes your desires. That's what I see in the second one where it says, you know, if you strike your foot, was, were those true verses? Sure, but it wasn't the point. He was tempting Jesus. But don't put God to the test. No, don't do that. What God does is as His Word goes deep into our hearts, as the full counsel of God goes deeper and deeper into our hearts and we start understanding it, what occurs is that God changes us. He changes our desires so that what happens is that we freely and joyfully obey Him rather than having to be coerced into walking in obedience. What happens is, is as John Piper likes to say, we delight in Jesus and we walk in obedience out of delight, not duty. We do it because we get to. We know our Savior. We know our Jesus. We know all of who He is. And so what happens is that we change from the inside out and as we meditate and read the Word of God, as we memorize it, what occurs is there's this internal transformation that is starting to happen God is taking His Word and those truths are thinking, sinking deep into our heads and our hearts. And what happens is, is that it naturally produces a fruit outwardly in our speech, in our actions. It naturally does that. Take a look at God's Word. Colossians 1, 10-11 Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Look at how the two are tied together, the knowledge of God. Where do we get the knowledge of God? Revelation is in Jesus Himself, but in the Word of God, the written Word, right? And He says right there that, listen, you're going to increase in good works as you increase in the knowledge of God, who God is. I want to do what I want to do because I delight in God. I want to be like Jesus and then in Romans 12, 1b through 2, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Isn't that an interesting combination there? 
Do not be conformed to the world. Primarily talking about our outward actions, our words, the way we think, etc. He says, don't be conformed to the world. So how do I not be conformed to the world? Well, by being transformed. How? Through the renewal of our minds. It starts on the inside, through the renewal of your mind. But be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. How do you know what the will of God is? It's in God's Word. It's how we find God's will. We see God's heart in His Word. We know what He desires. And so we find it in God's Word. We find what is good and acceptable and perfect. John 15, 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. It's about Jesus. He indwells us as believers. And he empowers us to, to live a life that honors God. And in Ephesians 6, 16 through 18a, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word. There's your weapon. There's your weapon. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit and with all prayer and supplication. You see, what God calls us to do, He empowers us to do through His Spirit. And you can hear all these things about getting into the Word and things like that, and our flesh pulls against that. Everything else becomes the most important thing in the world besides getting into the Word of God. Because our flesh is still battling. We don't, we've got to do this, we've got to do that. And so we can't manufacture strength of our own to be able to keep the faith or to fight the good fight. But we get that strength from trusting in Jesus' infinite power. That's why He gave us His Spirit to indwell, to enable us, to empower us, to do what He's called us to do. And that's why what you see in the Word of God, and you will find out in your own life, is that the Word of God and the Holy Spirit always work together. They always work together. So many times, how many, you're going through something. And all of a sudden, a verse comes to mind. And it's because you're so intelligent that you remember that verse at that very moment, right? It's God. It's God. He is using His Word. And you're struggling. It's that dark time. Hard time. And the Word of God comes to memory. And He uses that. And the Spirit of God builds up your heart and encourages you. And gives you the action you need to take in response to what the world, what the Spirit spoke to your heart through the Word. They always work hand in hand. That's why I say, you go back to old school picture of it. In a computer, you can't get out anything that you don't put in. How are you doing with putting in the Word of God in your life? How are you doing? Are you faithful in it? Are you seeking God and His Word? Are you, are you studying it and delighting in it? And praying through it. You see, the Spirit and the Word work together. They're the ones together that God is doing this work in us so that we can fight the good fight, to keep the faith. 
I love this statement. I, I don't even know who said it. It said, when I try, I fail. When I trust, he succeeds. Isn't that cool? I'll read that again. When I try, I fail. When I trust, he succeeds. That's the story of Paul's life. Take a look at these last few verses. 2 Timothy 2, 3-7. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. And then finally, 2 Timothy 4, 7-8. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. How can he be so sure of that? Because of the Word of God. The promises in the Word of God. Yeah, I know that. And not only to me, but also all to all who have loved His appearing. That's the Word that God has given us. You have it in your hands. Under God, Scriptures are the greatest treasure in this world. It is not your financial bank account. It is not the fact that you may have won a Super Bowl. When it gets all boiled down, none of that makes a difference. Paul saw that. And there is a treasure in your hands that is priceless, timeless, that will give you the wisdom you need for every situation in your life. It will explain what is going on in the world. It will explain what's going on in your life. And it will tell you what is going to happen. Cherish it, delight in it, because it all points to Jesus from beginning to end. The first word in Genesis to the last word in Revelation is all about Jesus. And the word of God is your anchor for keeping the faith, and it is your weapon for fighting the good fight. So continue in absolute allegiance to the unchanging truth of God's word. Delve into it daily, numerous times. Be dedicated like a soldier. Be disciplined like an athlete. Be diligent like that farmer. And digging into the Word of God and building this church, La Crescent Free, on it, your marriage on it, your family on it, and your future. Build it all on the precious and powerful Word of God and you will not have regrets. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we stand in awe of you today and this timeless treasure that is in our hands that we so easily push aside. Look to self-help books in the bookstores. Look everywhere else first before we come to you. Would you change our hearts, God, that we might seek you first and find the wisdom that you have in your word that we might, by your grace and your mercy, receive it and live by it. God, do a miracle today in this place as we delight in who you are displayed and revealed in your precious word. 
God, do this work in us so that your name is exalted and your name would be made much of. I pray this in Jesus' beautiful name. Amen.